episode number 98. Pull that off. All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. Okay, welcome back to the Havana Cafe now. We're, we're, we're out of uh, Casa de Hunt and back yep. at the cafe. Hence, back in the usual. Hence the dishes. Happy to be here. In the background, yeah, man. <laughs> Everybody's where they should be. Kids are at school. We're here. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, okay, before we get started, we got some interesting chat today about cyberspace and creativity. But before I let you unleash the clay on that topic... Uh, we're at episode number 98. Oh, yes, that's right, 98. We're getting close to the big 100. Yeah, so... A century. We're coming up on a century, man. We are going to have a big old conversation that loops us right back to the start, a big spiral on a big question that drives your life, and it can be about anything, but I thought I'd just share mine as an example. Uh, so... I want to write a bigger post about this, but I do feel like I was, I was listening to this podcast the other day and it was about the, um, end of life university or something like that. Right. And the woman who, um, was being interviewed was talking about how she's always thought a lot about death and been more curious than afraid about it. And the way she was talking really struck home with me because I feel like I've always been one of these people that's been quite aware of death and you know the fact that you know the one thing that is certain is that we are all gonna die and that that doesn't seem to be like morbid in a negative way for me right but I also remember being when I was younger I have a lot of memories of lying in bed once that realization had hit I mean absolutely terrified because like you know it, once you accept that it is definitely going to happen to you which we're all sort of living in this illusion that maybe it's not going to happen to us it's we're going to be the one human that the yeah. one human that lives forever um, and I, I feel so I feel like from that point I had this big question about death and about how basic so, so basically my big question if I'm going to word it in one particular way is how do I get okay with death and in that I suppose is the <laughs> transience oh, well, you're laughing at I'm me. laughing because the answer is to die well yes but, we okay have to, with death. yes but we have to like live in the knowledge you know that, so this always is the thing isn't it that we're the one group of people you know one species that's I don't know maybe this is true maybe this isn't who knows what animals are thinking but anyway that's my big question and I feel like that's the question that's compelled me towards a lot of the stuff that I'm doing that's and and it's sort of about death but about the transient nature of life in general which is about lots of the things around you sort of quote unquote dying or just passing through so um I like it yeah so uh you know I'm good. I'm, See, my, here, my here's where I get like overly. Uh, <laughs> you know the question, yeah. just as I do. What okay. is the matrix? All right, good. So we're talking so, about speaking of matrix. What I want everyone to do is think about your big question because we want to have a few big questions to chat about in our big episode 100. It's going to be a smorgasbord of, of people's big questions. So send us yours on Facebook, on Twitter, on an email, whatever. It just reminded me of the poster that I saw before. 
with a bunch of it was a it was a chimpanzees it was on the on the poster but basically it says just when I figured out all the answers they changed the questions <laughs> or maybe there's just the what is the um the number that's the answer to life. 42. So there you go. There you have it. All, All right. right. Back to cyberspace. Okay. We're getting into cyberspace today. Where You're going to have to guide me through cyberspace. It's the supposedly, quote, the consensual hallucination of cyberspace. Yeah, man. Which, yeah, is right. Yeah. Because it's yeah, so, crazy. Uh, um, as we were thinking about topics, and I was, so over the last sort of three weeks or so, last month um, I've been doing a lot of reading in the sort of postmodern space um, you know, going back to cats like um, Burroughs William, William Bart Burroughs Kathy Acker um, Jack Kurak Jen Singh those kind of guys so I, yeah so I've been in that kind of space so actually Burroughs led me on to thinking about the postmodern stuff and who came after him and that's what his Kathy Acker came up so I've been reading a lot of her stuff um, and then that got me into the whole sort of postmodern piece and I've always I hear the term but I'm thinking well what actually is it so that's where my exploration has been to but in exploring that then I stumbled across what's being called event pop which is I guess the what's after postmodernism and this whole and and vent pops up so in that I came across a guy named Mark America um, and tying into him was about how this connection with art and artists and writers and creatives and the use of the internet and that as a as a medium but the actually the artist is the medium so right. yeah, and yeah, and how how you use all and actually this kind of stems from a lot of the conversations that we have both on and offline, you and I, as in how do you use these different social media platforms? So in this space with that particular guy, Mark America, that you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the web, uh, chat rooms, anything virtual becomes your canvas, and that right. you're in a constant creation. Um, almost in real time creating art. So this guy is a VJ and he does that around the world and he travels around and he gathers his material f- just from films and places that he, that he is and he's just around and he's filming everything. So then when he gets to his VJ set, then it's just a spontaneous creation of all the different images that he's come across that then creates. So his canvas is almost a living canvas and the art is happening yeah. in real time. Um, and that kind of fascinated me. So I've been reading this book called Metadata. Um, and it's, it's kind of kooky and crazy because he's inventing all sorts of different types of language and thinking about how to look at and think about these things. I know we're going to talk about um, everything's a remix. And if, if, if any listener hasn't watched that series, at least the first three, original three, it's well worth a watch. It's called Everything's a Remix. I think it's .com. But you can find it on Vimeo, well worth a watch. Um, and basically in that, as we're talking about creativity, it's how um, creativity, how, how, I guess there's nothing new under the sun. And that goes all the way back to the Bible, isn't it? In the, yeah. sort of the book of Job or whatever, nothing new under the sun. Um, and in this case, this guy's not, everything's a remix. Think of any big song, any major movie. Um, think even all of Shakespeare's plays are all remixes of other people's Play. So there is no 
And, and this is interesting to me as an artist because, and I don't know where this has come from, and maybe you can speak to this, because there's been this big emphasis, at least in the West anyway, and growing up about originality and being yeah. original and being unique. Um, and then so the pressure on people to create and why people think that they're not creative and the like is that I have to create something never seen before and it's original and, it's, and, yeah. and then they don't know where to start. Because you have to ask yourself the question. it's impossible to create yeah. something entirely is there original. Ever, does, have you, is there an original thought in your body? Is it possible to have a true original thought? Well, you know, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. I really liked that um, Everything is a Remix video. And I really liked the way that he broke down the creative process so that, you know, we are in first in a phase of copying where we're learning whatever craft it is or whatever world we're in then in order to get the skills of that world whether it's you know piano or visual art or whatever and then you're either taking something that's already there and transforming it or you're taking multiple things from different areas and maybe even different genres or different like worlds and combining them in a new way. So I suppose it's not totally entirely true that nothing's original, but that the everything is a remix is kind of, it's a new remix. But that, that remix thing sort of is exactly it, isn't it? It's, it's the sort of perfect yeah. word for it. Yeah. I guess yeah, the remix is good because it, it's, and you know, the hip hop artists have gone through that sort of phase as well in, in terms of, you know, the music's built on samples and you know, there's all sorts of controversy with that because they take a sample from a song and then they you know, do stuff to it and create something different. Um, but the original, original in quotation marks, is from some other piece of work. Yeah. And, and I think a number of Shakespeare's plays was the same. It's just taking you know, existing you, work. And I think this is where the, we, we have to come back to the internet, though, because yeah. I think the thing that's changed that is the internet because mm. now we we can find out where things have gone and we can sort of bust through these myths so in the past people you know shakespeare might have been you know stealing ideas from all over the place but when he presented his ideas not everybody knew mm. i mean some people would have known like you know and some some ideas would have been more obviously yeah. re, you people know, who done. moved in that circle and were other creatives but might have known because they would have maybe have read and been that extensive in what they've yeah, read. Yeah, that's right. So, but, you know, I think we now have the capacity to really trace so much of where things have come from that we're be, much more aware of. Do you? I think it that. might be less than that. I think, think now, I think now is because you, because the attention span is so small split. and split, mm. it's, it, you know, it's, it's, you don't spend a lot of time, you know, oh, I'll go and fight deep dive. I just see it. And then I incorporated and used it. I think that's what. But then so. you have like someone put it up, and then you have someone on Twitter going, "That's just a read thing of that." And then you know that information okay, yeah, is yeah, sort you of. Yeah, you get some of that where someone will say, "Well, that that you know, yeah, you put it up, and then someone says, oh, that's from here,' um, and perhaps those kind of people miss miss the miss the point." Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, and think about thinking about the internet again and this whole sort of remix. But because the other word that's come is curation. Isn't it? So we're getting to this this state that there's so much information on the internet that we get overloaded with information. So now yeah. there's a whole new breed of people who go 
and they go and find out apparently what's the best of the best of this information and then they feed it so you then start to follow these curators like rock stars in that sense because you trust their their judgment so they're almost like the new not gatekeepers yeah. in a sense but the new taste makers yeah. um, which they sell that on well I'll save you time so you don't have to go and um, sift through all of the nonsense I'll go find the best of the best and present it to you either in my yeah. Twitter feed or in my newsletter or um, as my blog and that's been that's become quite popular in the last couple of years but I think one of the things that comes out a lot in this Mark America stuff is that in fact his phrase that he uses quite often is um, uh, search sample manipulate so you go yeah. onto internet search for I don't know you were just talking about death and then yeah. see what comes back and then out of that sample either the images or writing that, that you come yeah. across in your research and manipulate that into something else remix it so you remix it and helps you to further your thinking or to create some piece yeah. of art out of that um, and that I think is big, one of the big beauties of the internet from that point of view is that you can you have access to so, so much, much don't you to remix it and another that's right. term that comes up a lot which is an old term but it feels like it should be a new term and that's the whole idea of the hypertext but it's quite an old term is it? yeah it's, a, it's an old if you, do, if you do any googling on hypertext all the stuff you're going to read about it is going to be from um, you know maybe early sort of Set, well, so, yeah, we could go all the way into the sort of 70s, 80s. Right. Um, but then I guess it got really bigger, bigger back into the picture in the 90s, early 90s. Um, but it just seems like, so because I'm thinking of the curation aspect, and people are calling it, you know, link, curate, 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 curate and links and things like that. But then that just reminded me of the hypertext. Um, but it didn't seem to take off in the way that it was. And there's sort of whole idea behind this sort of hypertext um, adventures or hypertext documents or hypertext novels. In fact, there's quite a number of hypertext novels, but the idea is that through these links, the story expands into multiple different dimensions. So you could yeah. follow, you know, your reading and you don't, and the story isn't linear necessarily because right. it depends on which link that you go to and then you're off into some other part of a world and you're following links and so it's an expanded kind of document which I like because that's kind of how my my brain works in the because I laughed when you said oh this mumbo jumbo whatever the heck you call it I did call it mumbo, <laughs> yeah, mumbo jumbo. jumbo and I was like well that what you were reading the Mark America's thing that metadata that is the state of my brain <laughs> that's what my brain is like um, you do a lot of filtering before it comes out of your I do. mouth. Yeah. I do do a lot of filtering, but that if you were to just have I think, a raw tap I think into I my just brain. have a real reaction. Like Mark America's language is yeah. also very academic. Yeah. And I have a real issue with that because of like my own background. Yeah. So I'm not coming to him like, you know, open. Right. I'm coming to him with like as soon as I hear some of these words, I take certain assumptions about you know what and and I get frustrated because I feel like when people can't just speak in a way that everybody can easily understand 
then they don't really know what they're talking about. Mm. And so I have this whole, like, true or not, I have this whole story about academic ease, you know? Yeah. And so immediately when I read Mark America, and I, and I, and I, and I went back and looked, because I was like, you know, I'm very familiar with this stuff. Like, you know, I did my PhD in Cambridge, so there yeah. was, like, you know, just over-the-head bashed with this stuff. And uh, then I get, you know, I went back and saw the press, but, you know, so then I had this thing. So I really had to like, okay, Clay likes it. I got, I'm going to keep going. Mm. I I can do this. (laughs) Which he did have some good stuff in there. You just, I think that's the thing about the academic language is that I feel like when I read it, I have to really work to find the stuff, you know? And I would, I would almost challenge to say it's probably less academic than you think that, but it was probably more if it's the more because the so the language is a lot of made up words or new words that don't necessarily have any connection to I think because I was reading the intro and stuff yeah. as well then he's trying to put it into an academic context yeah. because of the yeah. MIT press thing yeah. so I just got yeah so yeah. once I started going into with all his little bits it was a bit yeah. better yeah because a lot of the cut the techniques that he uses to write the stuff that he writes is sample search, sample, manipulate. Right. So a lot of those words, and while they sometimes don't make sense, is because they're, they're using the cut-up technique, like William Burroughs. Right, and right. So yeah, yeah. there's actually Interesting. different things connected together. But then, and I guess that's what I like about it, is because it just messes with your brain a bit. Totally. Because and he's just not, like throwing a whole bunch of stuff in the yeah. wall and seeing what mixes. Yeah and, yeah, and then that happens to your head, too, the whole inside your head. You're like, what the hell's going on here? Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's just like a, it's like an acid trip basically sometimes with some of these things. Have you ever read any? William I thought S. you were going to ask me if I'd ever been on an yeah. acid trip. Have you read any <laughs> of Barrow's work? Have you read like no. the Naked Lunch? No, no. Um, or the Soft Machine? Uh, yeah, it's a real mind trip because you're just kind of there, and like, what the heck is kind yeah, of? Yeah, yeah. What? Where am I at? What's going on? And. Um, like the soft machine at one point was considered unreadable. He's done some editing on it a little bit is more. This Mar- is this, this William Burroughs? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I haven't finished that one. I have read Naked Lunch. And again, just a mind trip. It's like, yeah, it's almost like you had to be on acid to read it. <laughs> really? And that, um, Kathy Acker is, a, is the same, like reading her stuff. Funny thing, it... Yeah, well, we won't get into that. Maybe we can look at it in more depth on her, some of her stuff, because the, sort of the themes that she's into is sort of, um, I guess, what you would call the sort of, um, yeah, postmodern quite stuff and right. dystopia, and but a lot of sort of feminist bit and and a new term I came across from reading their stuff is uh, sexistentialist. Have you ever come across that term? Sexistentialist, no. And that that we define ourselves in terms of our sexuality, right? And the expression of our sexuality. Interesting. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I think I, what what interested me at the beginning when you sort of threw this topic out there about what comes after postmodernism, and and with the and, you know thinking about the internet and how that's affected creativity and stuff. Mm. Now you have sort of just to like go through even for myself like you have this sort of modern modernism where you have at that point a whole bunch of people making art who were quite elite so 
almost all white, almost all men, almost all of a certain kind of class of mm. people. And that was, and they were writing texts with characters and themes as if that expressed the universal. And I think what, what the postmodern sort of movement was about was about saying, at least part of it, was about saying that isn't representative of everybody. That's not universal human experience. That is an individual experience of a mm. certain kind of person and I'm going to now represent my experience. And so I feel like with all the postmodern stuff, like um, there's a lot more of this I identity politics, but also just this is how, like it's sort of an exploration of different identities and how different experiences, different life experiences, whether you're coming from all different countries or you are you know, in a diaspora situation where mm. you've moved from Kenya to, you know, Canada or whatever, you know, all of these things. And then you as the reader or, you know, I mean, I guess I'm more familiar with the literary sort of thing, but you're sort of not necessarily invited to be like, yeah, that's my experience. It's more like you're there to learn about what the experience is like of other people so you can get a sample of like, this is all different human yeah. experiences, right? And then I think what, what's really interesting thinking about what comes after that with the internet and with like maybe avant pop and all this other stuff is like, I kind of wonder whether we're getting into this stage where the remixing is the thing and it's not only potentially becoming more acceptable because we have so many people whose identities are now getting so mixed that they can't just say, I'm Kenyan, move to, you know, Canada or whatever. Like, people are starting to have very complex identities. And with the internet, you have access to all these different communities and all this different art and all this different stuff. So everything's sort of getting all mixed up. And I wonder if that's becoming not only more acceptable, but, like, the new thing. And that we're trying to move back into... Maybe not a universal experience, but presenting experiences that are, or, or art, or like representations of things that are all mixed up and jumbled, but also relatable to a lot more people, because they're not exclusive anymore, because things are so mixed up that it's not... Do you see what I'm saying? Am I making I any sense? I do, but I'm not sure that that's where the where that sort of cultural shift is necessarily going. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's the relationship with technology and how, it's, how technology is changing us and not mm -hmm. necessarily for the better. So if you take a movie like Blade Runner yeah, or, yeah. The, or the book that I dream of Are you of saying like what comes after postmodernism? No, no this, this would be the postmodernism part right. of this is this idea of the technology and how it's changing us and how mm. society is meant to be moving on but yeah. is it being broken down by yeah, yeah. over-reliance on technology. So if you read some of Bill Gerard's stuff and that whole sort of the... Um, simulation and simulacra as in we create a simulation the simulation then becomes real and then we no longer can tell the and simulation so then what from do you the feel like comes after that then so what's coming after that and that's where the big argument right now is is it postmodernism? we've been using that term since the 70s right um and even 
into now, we're still using it. But then some people are starting to use post postmodernism, um, but people have problems with that term. Yep. <laughs> um, and then this kind of event pop stuff kind of rolled out of that. So if we think about sort of um, uh, cyberpunk and that yep. kind of language, the stuff that came out of um, the democracy, the word Generation X, that term came from. Um, in a sort of cyberpunk and those that kind of world, um, and then yeah, so now we're in back into this kind of space where, and and I guess the, and this kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about with identity when we were talking about um, you know your persona that you have online is that you, yeah, or is that you know your avatar. But to other people, that avatar is probably more real than the real you. So right. which one is you? And right. then if people like or dislike your stuff and you change because they didn't like that, but they like that. So that's starting to change you because you're, you're now responding to what people's responses are to your to avatar. Your avatar, which they yeah. take as reality, but then yeah. you're the real. Um, I think something that you sent through earlier where, where they pointed out the fact that we call it reality TV and if, if we really think about what that's saying you know, is that really reality TV but we take that as real this sort of made up scripted put people on the island I was watching the island last night you know, okay. that's, you know that's not real but we call right. it reality TV yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and then you know then we're talking about yes your different communities that you have on Twitter and Facebook and the interrelationships that people have in that sort of space and um, and where I guess where Mark America was getting at and some of his that sort of net art genre of folks that kind of grew out of the 90s where they were like well look there's all this stuff out here and when you talk about remixology if you think about collages and things like that so those that's been around again mm-hmm. for ages this is just a digital version of the collage um, both in music and art in writing um, in our news with this whole sort of curated right. news that yes, you yes, gather yes. link so um, we are sampling a piece here and sampling a piece there and the juxtaposition of those creates some different feeling or reaction or mm-hmm. um, response out of you just from the juxtaposition of two very dispersed things um, so I think it's it's a lot in that sort of space, and yeah. if you were, if, and if you think about um, uh, what do you call the the the, the artists that, that instantly, you know, they they are the, like the, they paint themselves green or something. What is that? Oh uh, Perf- yeah, like performing art, yeah, art yeah. or something. Yeah. So and in a sense, the internet becomes that for people isn't it as in yeah that's true you know you're you're performing for this group and you're and I think people are starting particularly I think there's maybe a resistance in the older generation of us who you know remember when art was in galleries and stuff but you know I think there's a lot of younger people who are seeing people doing vlogs and all kinds of things as art and they're they're like you're saying their life and their documenting of their life or whatever it is they're documenting is the art. Mm. And there's a there's a recognition among some people that that's what it is. Now, other people are dismissing that. 
But, yeah. but and that's where I think, to link back to what you said a little bit earlier, and that is probably the point there, is that, is that the, your Facebooks and your YouTubes and your vlogs, and, and, and instead of being a gatekeeper being a gallery, a gatekeeper being a publisher, you can eliminate yeah. those gatekeepers. You don't have to have some curator of a gallery say that, you know, this is art because I've hung it up in here. Now the artist and the audience are intermixed. Yeah. Um, and even if you think about, like, we've been looking at Buy Me A Coffee and Patreon, um, the audience influences the art. Yeah. Well, we just ask people for questions. If you think yeah. about, you know, if we, the, we're creating a podcast here. We've just now went out and crowdsourced yeah. questions. So actually our audience is helping us in the creation of the podcast or the yeah. art. So yeah. 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 audience and artists become almost one and the same or intertwined. Or they're both part of the creation of the yes, thing. Yeah. Both, both mm-hmm. part of the creation of the thing. Um, do you want to take a quick break? Yes. Yeah. And then we'll, uh, I've got some questions for you. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. Our goal for 2018 is to grow our audience, our community of contemplators like you, and we would really appreciate your help with this. Now, there's a few things that you as a listener can do that are pretty easy and simple that will really help us out a lot. So if you enjoy the podcast and want it to continue, it would be great if you could share it with a few friends who you think might enjoy listening. Um, going to iTunes and giving us a review so that it boosts us in the algorithms and it can come across other people who might enjoy it. And if you'd like to financially support the podcast, you can go to the contribution section of our website. Thanks and back to the show. All right. Here we are. We're back. Okay. So, some questions for me. Well, I do. So would you say... If we come back to the sort of original entry point of cyberspace mm. and how it's changed the possibilities of the creative process and, you know, all that kind of stuff, would you say, and then, and then you know, we've just, we've just finished talking about how art is now oftentimes on the internet a combined effort between the artist and the audience Mm. who's feeding in whatever and a lot of times it's yeah so would you say that then that remixing of things I guess I'm just trying to get my head around sort of because it's cool isn't it? It's it's sort of it's a new it's a new pathway, and it, it, and like you said, it's not something that is totally new. People are making collages. People, you know, I mean, people used to have artists used to have patrons, and the patron would tell the artist what to do. Yeah. You know, so so all of that isn't new in and of itself, but the possibilities that cyberspace sort of brings is very new, hmm. and I suppose. Yeah, sorry. I'm I'm like like basically what I'm sa- what I'm what my next question is then is to what extent does that then feed into this thing that I think Mark America talks about about the the use in art of blending of fact and fiction yeah. or or the playing with that yeah. in the time of like 
untruth or post-truth being the buzzword. Yeah. And is that, you know, because we've talked about that aspect in a podcast about a lot of other things in terms of it's a serious thing. Like, what is truth? What is, you know, Mm. whatever, post-truth. But he is approaching it from a creative perspective, isn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, so that's my question. That wasn't a question, but that was a, that was a, what is our explain, question? It was, it was a, question? please explain this to me. <laughs> What's the question? Like the question is, yeah. what is Mark America or just in, you know, your own thoughts about yeah. art, creativity, online, in cyberspace, playing with real versus fiction, yeah. fact versus like reality, non-reality, yeah. blah, blah, blah. No, um, again, I think if you think about people like Hunter S. Thompson, Mm-hmm. And that sort of gonzo journalism and the new journalism and when that sort of sprang into the place like with Tom Wolfe and it where they took Tom Wolfe was probably more conventional than uh, Hunter and that it was the the before journalism well let's be objective and you're out of it and you know the who what when the why. But then with this new journalism was the the writer, the journalist was in the story. And you use elements of fiction to create. So this creative nonfiction, as it became also known as that genre. And then Hunter kind of twisted that up. So sometimes when you're reading this stuff, like I was just um, reading, stroke, listening to um, Fear and Loathsome in Las Vegas, where he, meant to, he was supposed to be covering um, the Mint 400 auto race. But the stuff that he's writing that comes out of it, you think, yeah, there is a blending of fact and fancy and truth in that. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, so what do I think about that? Um, I mean, I wonder how much, I mean, maybe one of the ways to think about it is that one of the roles of art in this, like, sort of contemporary moment is to explore and reveal how the boundaries between fact and fiction have been blurred and between reality and and sort of unreality or whatever you want to say and that you know because I suppose you know art in general whether you're talking about stories or you're talking about visual art or whatever is is about you know commenting and reflecting on the modern experience. I guess what makes it dangerous in the internet kind of world and I guess it happened in print to some extent but maybe not as much I'm just suddenly thinking back to you know, the yellow journalism where, you know, the papers were printing stuff that weren't necessarily true and it influences people. And if you think about there's no gatekeeper on the internet, so I could go set up what looks like a news site and then start reporting stuff. There's no oversight on what I'm reporting, so some stuff might be fact, some fiction, um, but who's who's shifting through that to determine where that is? So I guess the danger in that is if if... You have a people who don't want to go beyond that one source to get other sources and yeah, yeah. think for themselves, and you have a sort of a danger there. Hence, you got this stuff with the um, uh, Cambridge Analytica and the whole sort of Facebook thing, and that's kind of there, isn't it? So you yeah. know, we're influencing people's Facebook feed with you know news that weren't you know fake news and quotation mark type things. Um, yeah, and I suppose the bigger question was, would be, do you have, as an artist, for instance, do you have, do I have to be explicit that this is a work of 
fiction if I have fictional elements in it? Or am I at liberty as an artist just to let you determine what's real or not real? So I wrote a little quick short story, flash story yesterday. Now, if you're reading it, it seems like it's me, real dream thing that I was having, but actually it's absolutely nothing to do with me. But as you're reading it, yeah. You know, about the only thing that was real in it <laughs> is the fact that, yeah, I had a dream. <laughs> um, but so do I, you know, do I have to be explicit yeah. that I'm blending these two things together or do I'm just leaving it up to you I to mean, discern you, what's real and what's not? Do you feel like the internet as a... Because I suppose, you know, anytime there's a sort of new medium the idea of remixing, you bring all the old stuff to this new medium and new things happen. Do you feel like the rise of creative nonfiction raises questions about that in a different way? Um, see, I don't, I don't think so. So for me, like I'm a big fan of the creative nonfiction. It makes the stuff that you're reading it brings it to life so if you think so if we take it all the way back to the episode where we talked about storytelling yeah for me it makes you it it helps you to create meaning so if you just get a factual report yeah. it's just the facts and i can't you know there's no nest beyond the rational logical bit of it it doesn't bring the story alive it doesn't hit me as a human to raise my emotions and get me really involved into it so from a storytelling point of view the creative non-fiction brings that alive for people, makes that thing sort of stick from people. And I can think of, um, at university, the professors that I learned the most from, and didn't have to entirely take any notes, are the ones who were good storytellers. Yeah. A couple of my history professors, great storytellers, but they brought history alive. They could have made it very dull, and here's a book and here's some facts, but they brought it alive. They brought it alive with story, they brought it in a way that they told the story to us in the class. And I can remember all of that. I don't have to, you know, I don't have any notebooks, but I can remember yeah. lots of stuff from both those particular um, uh, classes because yeah. because of the way you present it into the story, which is how we kind of learn. So I think it comes right right back to it comes right, yeah, it comes right back to that space for me. And how yeah. do you how do you bring this thing alive? And I think with the internet, um, this whole sort of it makes it available to, so the means of production now are cheap and storage is cheap, so more people can express themselves in the way that they want to express themselves. Um, there was a, have you seen Microsoft's latest commercial? And they're trying to they're do this for the Bing search engine, but then it has an artist. Um, and she likes the color pattern, or she's drawing some dinosaurs or something or another. I think she's making dinosaurs. But she takes a picture of a wing of a parrot, or, and then the colors, the Bing kind of does the AI sort of search, brings up more pictures of these um, birds that she can get good color sample from to finish off her dinosaur. So, you know, I guess with the with the whole sort of Bing and Google and all that, the AI assist as an artist, I can go in and type in right. a thing and then I can get a, a sampling of all that might have existed out there from personal experience and news stuff or, you know, so there's yeah. ways for me to sample all those to help me mix it up into something 
that creates the kind of feel or experience or story that I then pass on to to you. And yeah. we haven't even touched on to copyright. And if you so, if you watch that series, so everything's a remix, and this whole idea about copyright being an antiquated thing. Um, and the only reason why it was put into place again becomes a commerce thing was was to say that actually for this period of time because you know once something's out there then everybody's going to get a hold of it but we'll give you this exclusive period of time so that you can make all the money you need to make from it before everybody else gets over that so that was the idea behind copyright so copyright's not necessarily well it doesn't last forever and um, it was only supposed to give you a little bit of a, a head start over other folks um and so that's why Creative Commons has sprang up um, and things like that, where it's like, well, actually, do you really own stuff? Can we put it out there? Then people can take it, they can remix it, they can... Yeah. A lot of what Creative Commons, you know, they ask for you to sort of cite back where you originally found it, as they've done as well, but it's kind of there for everybody to use and to make more stuff out of, you know, what's kind of, what's kind of there. And the internet, to answer one of your other questions, I think, I suppose makes it really simple to go do a search for butterfly wings and I'll get a load of pictures on, you know, yeah. a monarch butterfly that I haven't taken myself. Yeah. So if you start thinking, well, did you copy that? Is that plagiarism? Is that you violating someone's copyright? Because I've Googled it, got it, I've taken that image and now I'm manipulating it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like another twist that Mark America does on the word plagiarize. Did you see that? No. So, you know, it's plagiarize, P-L-A-G, whatever, right? But they yeah. have it, play, P-L-A-Y, oh, right. plagiarize. Um, where plagiarism is taking someone else's work and passing it off as your own. Right. Plagiarizing, but P-L-A-Y, is taking it, manipulating it, remixing it, and creating yeah. another piece Something of work new. out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so off the back of that, I suppose the other thing we haven't talked about is does it change the, has the internet and the, the capacity for everybody to, you know, you said sort of there's been a democratization, you could say, of creativity in terms yeah. of everybody can now do it, not, and not only do it, but put it up, yeah. you know, for everybody well, to see. Own, make my own films That's and my right. own documentaries exactly. and music. So, and, and for so many of the art forms, it's become more accessible. Um... I mean, what do you think in terms of the way that that has impacted our understanding of creativity? Because it seems like, you know, there, there's a period of time in which it wasn't acceptable to do... You, know, you, may, you might have had a creative hobby, but really that wasn't a serious thing. Whereas hmm. it is possible now to have, and, and a lot of people do, have side gigs where they're doing this whole other creative thing. That might not be the way that they make their money and pay their bills, but for them, it's just as important as their job. Yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of wonder, because, you know, the, the remix, everything is a remix, Vimo video, started with the, with this, um, and I've, of course, I've written it down. Yeah, there you go. It was a great, it was a great beginning. And so he says, the act of creativity is surrounded by a fog of myths, myths that creativity comes via inspiration, that original creations break the mold, that they are products of geniuses. And so, you know, I wonder if that idea that we have is changing because of 
the access that people have to not I only be so. creative but also put it up I think it's yeah I think there's a number of forces on that well that one is exactly that it, it, I think you're right that it encourages people to you know make more and put it out there and I think the um, we're destroying or crushing old paradigms mm-hmm. so yeah so creativity is work of genius but let's destroy that because it actually inhibits people, isn't it? So, yeah. like, with drawing, like, I like to draw, and then people see me draw, and they go, well, I don't, I, oh, I love that, but I, I don't know how to draw, I can't draw. And I often remind them that they learned how to draw before they could speak. Yeah. But the thing is, the image that they have in their head of drawing is I need to make a photograph. I need, it looks, needs to look exactly like that thing. Yeah. Um, and I say to that, well, then take a picture if you want an exact replica right. of that thing. Um, right. But somewhere in the line, I think you know those kind of definitions of you know creativity, being original, um, have kind of got lodged in our head, and it inhibits our creativity. It doesn't allow us to to to. Exp- and that pressure yeah. to create something new. I mean, again, I know we sort of started with this but I remember I read a um, essay by Arun Tati Roy who um, won the booker for God of Small Things mm. and is a, is a big activist um, still in India and she wrote this article about n- against nuclear and she basically started it off by saying I'm not going to say anything new like, let's just put that out there. There's lots of people that have said this. Mm. I'm going to add my voice to it. And for some reason, the way that she put that really shattered the, that really negative belief that I had that everything I put out into the world had to be original. Mm. And it was really nice. It was like such this profound moment of like, yes, I don't have to say anything new. Just saying things, just putting things out there and being creative is enough, mm. you know? So, yeah, I really, yeah, I mean, I still remember that moment in yeah. the article and, and, and that, you know. And I think that, you know, that frees people up to, and if to you, be more creative and do more things. And, and we also, the internet allows us to see other people doing it, isn't it? Other mm. people that are just like us. So I think there's that, it's but, not only. And that has a negative consequences though sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> well, it has a negative consequences of, um, I'm not as good as that person. You know what, though, we're always going to try and find yeah. excuses, aren't we? Yeah, but but and and you know, I'm I'm never going to be as good as that person, so I might as well quit now. And so the perseverance of yeah, kind of going through. But that. then, if that if that's holding you back, then mm. I think also you weren't going to be able to do it necessarily before when it was even harder to mm. put it out there and make it. You before know, you sort of. I think you need to like there's a there's a but there's a I guess nonetheless there's a, sense. there's a struggle there's yeah. a struggle that you have to go through and there's but there's that sense and this gets created by the media and internet if you will as well that you know someone said an overnight success takes ten years but yeah. when you see someone it feels like they've just appeared out of nowhere and then the frustration comes because you haven't put in the dues necessary you haven't done your was it 10,000 hours? Yeah, the Malcolm so, Gladwell, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you haven't seen all of the... Because someone who was... Someone recently, they were they were saying that they, they didn't want to 
do the vlog type thing. Well, they wanted to, but then they were like, because they were comparing it to someone that was, you know, popular blogger, vlogger. So then I went and showed them a video of that person when they're like first, their first or second vlog. And the difference is night and day, but it's like, well, that person st started there. And stuck with it. And stuck with it, and now they're here. Yeah. So you just yeah. have to kind of begin wherever you are. Yeah. And if you kind of stick through it, yeah. and then eventually you'll get to, you know, where you are. And, and, and I guess we can round this up with, you know, if you, if you turn inward. So I, and this is a question I've been asking myself. It's like, well, why... Why, why do you write? What's the point of it? And I think the answer has to be for self. Because if you're writing for others and trying to write to the market, then there's going to be something that's missing. Yeah. One, in your perseverance. Two, in the market is fickle and the other yeah. thing. Um, so you have to connect to that internal thing that's driving you to do whatever it is that you're doing. And then, as they say, if you book them, they will come. So you, you know, you'll find your audience that, are, that connects to you based off of your interpretation and take on what you're doing. Yeah. And then it's kind of sticking into that. Sticking, picking, choosing your lane and just going, going for it. And others will choose to come along for the ride or, or not, or go somewhere else, click off. And, um, but yes, so I'll end by saying if you want to write, write. If you want to make films, you can make videos. You and if you want to experience what a NASA trip is like, you can read Mark America's metadata yeah, book. That's it. <laughs> um, if you want to make a podcast, radio, all of it. That's the thing, I think, with all this stuff is that we actually can make it and distribute it. You don't have to have a necessarily a gatekeeper to go through it. Of course, that throws And it doesn't up. have to be brand new, 100% Well, it doesn't unique. have to be brand new, 100%. Um, I guess it just has to be something that someone wants to watch. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is a lot of junk out there, which is a lot of what people say, oh, yeah, there's so much junk on the internet. And yeah, probably true, but, you know, if you keep surfing through the junk, then you'll find something that you kind of like. But yes, okay. Cool. So, but the question is... Are we in a simulation right now or not? And then when the people are listening to this podcast, so they're going to be listening to something the, uh, that happened in the past. It's the consensual hallucination. But they'll be listening to it as if it was real right then and there. Yes. So if you're listening to this. If you're listening to this. I don't know. Is it real? Is it not I know, real? Is it real? Not real? Are we just a figment of your imagination in your head? Are you dreaming? You're a man. That's a butterfly. We're gonna, or um, a butterfly that's dreaming that he's a man. We're gonna uh, have Clay's big question next week at be, the start. I, I You're just in charge. I know exactly. What is the Matrix? No, not the Matrix. Am I a man dreaming I'm a butterfly, or a butterfly dreaming I'm a man? That is your question. <laughs> that's my question. All right, very good. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. We have a goal for 2018 to grow our audience, our, our community of contemplators like you, and we'd really appreciate your help. In fact, there's a few things that you can do quite easily that would really help us out a lot. One is by sharing it with other friends that you think might enjoy listening to the show. 
Another is going to iTunes and giving us a review, which will boost the algorithm and put the show out in front of more eyes that um, can, people can come across it. And you can financially support the show by going to the contribution section of our website. Thanks a lot.